This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I think that is what we have to do as preachers at Christmas, especially. It's not on us, and in fact, it will be quite joyless to say, really, this is only about the birth of Jesus. That's true. But if I say it like that, people are going to be like, what's he on about? This is a moment of joy for me, reminding people that even in this time, that can be difficult for some people, joy is there in abundance. And you only miss it if you don't pay attention. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I am Preach's producer, Maggie Van Dorn. And I'm in the hosting seat because this week we're in for a special treat, which I'll reveal momentarily. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we're joined by my friend and colleague and your regularly appointed host, Ricardo da Silva. Ricardo is a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media, and also an associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York City. Ricardo, welcome to Preach. Thank you, Maggie. It sounds a little strange hearing you read my bio, which I usually (laughs) read to myself. I usually have it memorized just from (laughs) hearing it every week. (laughs) It's good to be here. Yes, it's very good to be turning the mic on you, Ricardo. And it's actually a test for both of us, I think, for you, just to see how well you've been listening over the past few weeks, especially to Barbara Reed and Victor Cancino in the panel discussion they gave about preaching for Advent. And a test for me, too, I think, in just trying to step into your hosting shoes. I think it might be more comfortable for you than it is for me right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's always something when you're about to preach, there's always that moment of incredible nervousness. And I've certainly felt that preparing for this show today. Yeah, well, I think that's understandable, especially as you've been in the hosting seat for so long this year. But Mm -hmm. I also think that you've gleaned a lot of insight. I know I have just in listening. So without further ado, why don't you ease us into the readings? Tell us what you're preaching on for the third Sunday in Advent. So I suppose I'm preaching on joy because it is Gaudete which is Rejoicing Sunday. We're in year B. You may recognize that because the priest will be wearing rose. And we're lighting the pink candles in our Advent wreaths. That's right. It's supposed to feel different. It's supposed to mark a shift in the Advent season. You know, we're that much closer to Christmas. We'll start to hear the O antiphons. This is the time to begin to really look forward to the birth of Christ. And what readings are you specifically looking at, especially for your homily? I really haven't focused on a particular reading, although I'll bring in insights from all the readings. From the first reading, Isaiah chapter 61, to the first chapter of John, which is the gospel, and then even to the psalm, which comes from the gospel of Luke, Mary's song of rejoicing, Mary's Magnificat, Mm. everywhere joy resounds. 
And what audience did you have in mind when you wrote this? Your preach audience, your audience at St. Francis Xavier? I definitely had the people of Xavier in my mind. St. Francis Xavier on West 16th Street in Manhattan, New York City. But to say that is also a little misleading because there are five of us who serve the parish and three of us on staff. And so we rotate between the masses. So we move from preaching to the little children during the family mass, to the parents when the children are in the catechism classes. And then it's also for young people, young students, young professionals, but also a much older generation that has been at Xavier since the AIDS crisis, right? It's a large LGBTQ community. It's a very social justice-minded parish. And so I really am preaching in a sense, I think, also to the preach audience, which is as vast as the people of Xavier. So that is quite a challenge. But I'm excited to hear what you have prepared for our listeners. We will now hear Ricardo da Silva's homily for the third Sunday in Advent, Year B, especially recorded for Preach. After Mass, a big fellow whose looks could have inspired fear came up to me and said, Come to my house. I have something to honor you. I remained uncertain, not knowing whether I should accept or not. But the priest who was accompanying me said, Go with him, Father. The people are very good. So I went to his house, which was a half-falling shack, and he made me sit down on a rickety chair. From where I was seated, the sun could be seen as it was setting. The fellow said to me, Senor, see how beautiful it is and we remained silent for some minutes. The sun disappeared. The man added, I did not know how to thank you for all that you have done for us. I have nothing to give you, but I thought you'd like to see the sunset. It pleased you, didn't it? Have a good evening. He then gave me his hand. As I was leaving, I thought, I have met very few hearts that are so kind. Today we celebrate Gaudete, rejoice, and there are few stories in my own life that bring me joy as that story that I have just read to you. It is a story told by Pedro Arupe, one of the superior generals of the Society of Jesus, when he visited a favela, a shantytown, a very poor place in Brazil, where the people had nothing to give. And he thought that he was there to proclaim the gospel, and he was, and he was there at Mass, and he did that. But by the end of it, he realizes that the people who are proclaiming the gospel are really the people who were in the pews. There was a moment for him of pure joy. And I think that's really important for us, because if we look at today's readings, Joy hits us between the eyes. We keep being told to be joyful. And as I reflected on the story of Pedro Rupert, there were key moments, key aspects to it that really helped me to grasp what joy is about. And I think that comes up in various ways in our readings. So let me walk you through those. In the first instance, joy cannot be manufactured. It's not something that we can create for ourselves. It's something that sort of happens in a moment, in a flash, 
and then we catch ourselves in a joyful state. I was panicking before this homily, not knowing quite where to go. The story came to me, and I felt joy. Pedro Rupe was getting on with his day, celebrating Mass, not expecting what would happen, and joy came. It came to him in a very ordinary situation. But it's a situation of pain. It's a situation of people who struggle to make ends meet, who have nothing, and yet they were able to produce such great joy. We know this is true. We hear this over and over in the gospel. We hear this today in the reading from Isaiah, proclaim liberty to captives, send me to tell the good news to the poor, that among those who are most impoverished, God is present. Joy is there. We live in a world filled with devastation, violence, fear, hatred, repression. And yet, we still find ourselves, catch ourselves in moments of joy. I want you to think in your own lives now. Where is it that you have experienced joy in the last few days? Even amid all that is happening in Israel and Gaza, even amid the craziness of the season, conflicts with colleagues at work, joy is there in the middle. There's a beautiful section in the reading from Isaiah today. As the earth brings forth its plants and a garden makes its growth spring up, so will the Lord God make justice and praise spring up before all the nations. Justice and praise, they go together. This is a moment that we have seen so clearly, I think, in that story from Pedro Rupe. In the midst of serving people in great need, in the midst of his own poverty, not knowing quite what to do, God comes in and he is drawn to praise. But perhaps the best kind of joy that comes from that story in Pedro Rupe is that it's a gift. It comes to him entirely surprisingly, without expecting it, as we have said, but it comes to him free of charge. It comes to him in a moment when he didn't even know he needed it. We all know how wonderful it is to receive a gift. The season is all about giving. And perhaps that's one of the redeeming aspects of it in this commercial world that we live in. That even then, it is about something we do for somebody else. It is about giving giving of ourselves, as the people there gave of themselves in offering the sunset, which was itself a gift from God, as Pedro Rupe did without realizing it in being present to the people in the favela. We are about to experience in just a few days the gift of God in a real way in our own lives. God will be born in a manger, in a poor state, and that will be gift enough for us in the same way that it was gift enough for Pedro Rupert to experience that sunset 
and for the people to give the only gift that they could give. What can I give him, poor as I am? Maybe we can give him ourselves. And when we do that, we experience the deepest joy of all. That was Ricardo da Silva for Preach. After the break, we'll hear how Ricardo uses personal stories to give congregants the opportunity to do deep soul searching and find joy in their lives. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to Preach. Ricardo, that was such a treat. (laughs) I have newfound respect for our preachers. Let's put it that way. It's quite something preaching in an empty studio. Yeah, you know, imagining the congregation before you, but it's a very good exercise. Yeah, which is something that we've known from the start. You know, when we wanted to make a podcast, but we couldn't take it on the road and travel to every church in the United States, right? Yeah. So you start with a bit of a cold open. It's a story from Pedro Arupe talking about his time in the favelas in Brazil, and it was extremely captivating. It also reminded me of something that we do quite frequently when we're writing a podcast together. We have what's called a hook. Many preachers have alluded to this. So is that something that you've always done in your preaching? And is it different in any way than what you do in your podcasting? I think it's something I've always done. It's part of my history from high school years doing public speaking, and I was Mm. on the speech team. And so, you know, crafting a speech, thinking about how you arrest your audience from the beginning, that's always been something very important to me. I seldom would begin, though, with something as long or with another's words. I mean, I make that Hmm. choice very deliberately. Why did you do that this time? Honestly, because I was so nervous. (laughs) And this happens every single time. I can't tell you without fail. When I begin to prepare a homily... I'm like, what am I going to say? People are going to think I'm a fraud. I have no idea what's going on. What are these readings even about? And so usually what I do is I stop then at that point. I go back and I'm like, okay, what do a thousand commentaries say about this? And I proceed to read a thousand commentaries. And then I'm like, oh, and now the deadline is looming. So what I usually do is I look at my notes. I put them aside. I run downstairs to the chapel in my house I spend a few minutes before the Blessed Sacrament, and usually that's about enough to calm me down and maybe Mm -hmm. just to change the environment. And often when I'm walking back to my room or, you know, to my notebook or to get a coffee, the hook will come to me. Mm. That's key for me. I always need something to grab people. The hook is essential. Everything else flows from that. So when I was panicking, I knew that it was important for me to connect this homily to joy. And that's why I was panicking. I was panicking because I wasn't experiencing joy. I was experiencing stress. And so 
immediately I thought about the story from Pedro Rupe. And that's usually a good instinct for me. The first story that comes to my mind, and I've told this story to my congregation before, so it won't be new to them, at least to some of them, but it was just the first thing that came to my mind. And then, of course, joy welled up within me, and I was like, yeah, that's what to yeah. go with. Yeah, so you're able to make the connection immediately to the scriptures, to joy within yourself. I want to double back a little bit because you vocalized a kind of panic that we know is not foreign to most preachers. We've heard so many of the preachers who have come on this show talk about something similar. I think most human beings feel some kind of panic when they have to do any kind of public speaking. And then you have the additional pressure of trying to deliver some really great spiritual insight. Mm. So I think that is a very natural response. What helps you to feel more free? Definitely prayer. And I don't mean prayers and getting down on my knees prayer, but just something like going to the chapel and praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament, just sitting there and saying, okay, five deep breaths, we've got this. But the other thing that really helps me is that I know over the years that God has my back, right? Mm. And so whatever happens in a day or in an hour, I need to deliver that homily. And so something is going to happen that is going to touch people's hearts and lives. And I had a structure in my head but how it all stitched together happened in a way that was very different to what I envisaged. Mm -hmm. I had a different conclusion, for example. I went in a different direction. So I've learned to trust that. I've learned to trust that God has my back and that it will start and it will end and it will touch somebody. And I have to say that, you know, I get to work with you every single day and I'm used to your normal speaking voice and listening to you preach it was as though you did go to a different space. Mm -hmm. You know, the tone was different. The pacing was different. It felt gentle, contemplative, probing still. But you created this totally different space than you would have just an ordinary working life. Than my usual frenetic self sort of running around <laughs> doing a thousand things at once. And it's one of the best things for me about yeah. what I do, right? I truly love being a priest. And when I get up at the Ambo, or in fact, when I walk down the aisle at the beginning of Mass, right, I usually take off my watch and I'm like, Kronos time, goodbye. We're now in Kairos. And I learned that on a retreat leading up to my ordination, and I've stuck to that, and I trust that. And I really trust that homily time, liturgy time, is time apart from, you know, that chronological time that we follow when we're at work. Hmm. It's almost as though it's not a particular skill set that a preacher has to learn, but it is a state of mind or it's an attitude or a disposition towards the calling. A grace. I had a wonderful spiritual director who gave me the best definition of prayer I've ever heard. And he said, prayer is when I'm more than extraordinarily open to God. And so if I'm able to create that space when I'm presiding at Mass— or when I'm standing in front of a congregation at a retreat or during my homily, then I'm fine, right? And you asked me about peace, where I find peace. That's where I find my peace, mm -hmm. when I know that God is in the driving seat. You also invite the congregation to find this peace or this joy themselves. 
And you make this very pastoral turn about midway through the homily where you ask people to reflect on the place of joy in their own life. And I thought this was very effective because it does create space for a deep listening and engagement. Do you always make a point of asking questions like this for people to answer within themselves? Almost always. You know, either I will begin with a question or I will have something in the middle or I'll have something at the end. And often what I'll do is I'll preface it with something like, hey, I know this is tough. Like, I struggle with this too. And here's something that happened to me this week that really showed me how far off the mark I am or how close to whatever I'm after. And then I say, what about you? And it's because it is a conversation. I'm in front of them and I'm seeing them when I'm talking to them at brunch or having cookies after mass or in the confessional or in spiritual direction. And I know the people in front of me and I know what I think will be helpful to them or what it is that they're craving or what it is that they're struggling with. And so I really do try to respond to that in my homily. I think it's possible to preach about joy without actually knowing it for yourself, but it would probably result in a bad homily or an inauthentic one, and everyone would know that. Mm-hmm. And as you and I have learned in making this podcast, so much about preaching is more than mining the scriptures. It's also about reading the text of our own lived experiences. Mm. So as you were preparing for this, how did you locate joy in your own life? Joy came almost immediately, right? You know, I said I thought about Pedro Rupert's story, but as I read the 61st chapter of Isaiah, right, which is that proclamation, the Lord sent me to give the good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to captives, set people free. It immediately took me back to a retreat where I'd prayed with that and where I felt within myself this incredible joy for a life of Christian service, which I had been leading, right? You harness the feeling of joy. I harnessed that feeling within myself, and I sort of stayed with it. And I was like, okay, I don't want to be saying, hey, isn't Ricardo a good guy doing good things for everybody? How nice. Because that wasn't going to connect with the people necessarily Mm. on its own. And that's when this idea came to me of Pedro Rupe. We do need to look within ourselves and find those places within ourselves that have joy, but we don't necessarily need to tell that story. We need to wait to see what that is saying about what the people in front of us need. Yeah. Joy is a real nice subject, and it may be easy to talk about, (laughs) but a lot of people are not very joyful or have a difficult time accessing that joy as readily as you have. Or have reason to be joyful. Or have reason to be joyful, right? We live in a world where joy is difficult to come by. I mean, the story that you shared at the beginning was really of someone who had very little, who lived in a favela, and yet he was able to find joy in a sunset and share that joy with Pedro Arupe, right? So it is possible, but it seems like an art to get people to that place. You know, it requires a real delicate touch. So in your homily, how do you think about being realistic about people's pains and maybe some of the obstacles to joy while also nudging them in that direction? I remember a Jesuit saying to me, 
that when you meet the most impoverished of people, you will know what joy is. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Like These people are really struggling, right? And then I was sent to Brazil for my theology or London when I was in philosophy, working with people experiencing street homelessness. And it's true, right? There are, in those moments where it seems that everything is bleak, people find joy. And where they find joy is exactly what I said in my homily, where they're not expecting it, right? They're not trying to manufacture it, but they are also saying, well, I know my life is hard, but this is the life I have, and there's still something good here, right? Mm -hmm. It's that connection that was so important for me, and I hope it's that connection that I made in my homily. We live lives that are frenetic. We live lives that are difficult. Some people are going through divorce. Some people are going through grief. Some people are struggling to come out, whatever it is. There are moments in all of that that just catch you. You know, sometimes it's just walking on the street and the scent of a rose sort of catches your nose or you see a baby smiling. And so I think if we can connect people to that and just say in the ordinariness of your life, in the messiness of it, in the sadness of it, where can you still find peace? Where can you still find joy? And it's often where others are, right? We can't find it within ourselves. We have to find it where others are, whether it's in service of others or whether it's just paying attention to others and what others are doing. That's where we find joy. And it's particularly important during this Christmas season because there's all sorts of commercial promises of joy or happiness mm -hmm. that besiege the congregation. And so it seems like now, more than any other time, is when a preacher needs to make this connection between authentic joy and self-giving, mm -hmm. which is what you do towards the end of your homily. I think that is what we have to do as preachers at Christmas, especially, right? It's not on us. And in fact, it would be quite bar humbug and joyless to say, Christmas is a commercial feast. And really, mm -hmm. this is only about the birth of Jesus. Right. That's true. But if I say it like that, as I've heard so many times, people are going to be like, what's he on about? Right. This is a moment of joy for me. And also, what is good here? There's incredible goodness in Christmas, right? Family time for the most part. Yes, again, pain, because some people can't be with their loved ones. But it's about that. It's about family. It's about giving to others. It's about going out into the community and serving and helping. It's about singing together Christmas carols, right? Lessons and carols, like reminding people that even in this time that can be difficult for some people, joy is there in abundance. And you only miss it if you don't pay attention. Well, Ricardo, thank you so much for preaching on your very own show and also for reminding us how we can recognize joy in our own lives and even more so how to tap into the emotional experience that is at the heart of our readings. Thank you, Maggie. You yeah. did a great job asking me very <laughs> difficult questions. I do have one question remaining for you. Sure. Where have you found joy today? <laughs> I'm laughing because you probably know exactly where I found joy because it's where I've been the last two weeks, uh, pretty much holed up in my room. But in the podcast that we create together, I mean, hark the stories behind our favorite Christmas carols. Mm. This morning, we just heard 
one of the cuts of Go Tell It on the Mountain, the third episode, which is in your feed now. Yep. And it's just come together beautifully. You know, and again, it's one of these stories where it's joy amid a ton of pain and strife. It's a story mm-hmm. that's born out of struggle. And yet it's at its heart a story of joy. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. It is the most joyful thing I do at this time of year. I know mm-hmm. that it is for you too. It is. And shameless plug, I often do this at the end of homilies, so it's perfectly <laughs> in keeping. Shameless plug, go and listen to Hack, the stories behind our favorite Christmas carols. It's available now wherever you listen to podcasts. And it's adorned with Maggie's gentle, kind, <laughs> probing voice. <laughs> Ah, oh, thanks, Ricardo. It is a joy to make it with you, even if we're always racing to the next deadline. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for our homily in the show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc., This episode of Preached was produced by Sebastian Gomes. Frank Tucson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. We recorded in the William J. Lowshirt studio in New York City with production assistance from Kevin Christopher Robles. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for this podcast, we would love to hear from you. Just click the link in the show notes. You can follow our host, Ricardo, on X at RickDSSJ. And did you know that American Media can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every day? If you're already a digital subscriber, they're probably in your inbox. If not, become a digital subscriber today. It is the best way to support our work here on Preach. Just visit the link in the show notes. And if you're feeling extra generous this Advent season, leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps us get word out about the show. For American Media, I'm Maggie Van Dorn. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. Mm-hmm.